Excuse me, Veronica. <clears throat> yes, what is it, Brick? I would like to extend to you an invitation to the pants party. Excuse me? The party, the pants with the pants. Party with pants. Welcome to the Pants Party. My name is Jerry Sherwin, and I am a blogger at Blackheart Gold Pants. Joining me today, the Pants Managing Editor and President of the Brandon Snyder Fan Club, Max Brecky, and for the first time, the guru of Ken Palm, Harrison Starr. What's going on, boys? Hi. <laughs> Not much is going on. How about you? Well, I am still reeling in the fact that Iowa's second half offense showed up right in time to make me feel a little bit better about this week's game. And I just want to start off right at the front with Brandon Snyder. Did any of you think that we would ever have a game that we would maybe identify as the Brandon Snyder interception game? No, no, I certainly didn't. But that's because I didn't know when we were ever going to see him play again. Mm -hmm. I didn't think that he was going to recover from an ACL injury in six months. So I never, I didn't think we were ever going to see him play. So no, I did not think that that was ever going to happen. Glad we got to see it though. Yeah, yeah. I had a couple um, exciting thoughts. Um, first, I suppose the first Brandon Snyder game probably goes back to Rutgers, where Iowa doesn't win without him. Um, and, and I thought that was probably the best we could see out of Brandon Snyder this year. Obviously, having him back and his veteran mentality, he knows what to do. Yeah, he kind of goes for the big hits, but um, he's he was there when it counted, and seeing him take it back, what was it, 90 yards, that was, that was pretty remarkable. 89-yard interception, pick six um, in his returning game. And to that point in the third quarter, Iowa had punted twice. I think it was three and out both times, and the offense looked completely offset they couldn't get ahead of the chains they looked like they were a couple weeks or last week against Michigan State and they're just Illinois was hanging in that game up until that point and then once Brandon Snyder picked that pass off that that game was totally different the rest of the way um and that that was the thing that turned the game around the most um and who would have thought Brandon Snyder like you said the guy that goes for the big hits at least he's in the right place because up to that point, safeties in that game weren't in the right place. They were making very ill-advised decisions. That 48-yard run up the middle for Illinois is something that I remember. Miles Taylor got benched immediately after that. Um, and I don't know where you guys are with the safety going into the bye week, the safety position, but it should be Brandon Snyder's and Imani Hooker, in my opinions, to lose at this point. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. I mean... Miles Taylor, last year, the safety position got so much better when Anthony Gare came in, and that was, I think that was telling in and of itself. And then this year, yeah. immediately after, I think that probably the turning point, I think that the hooker uh, substitution and Snyder's interception came right around the same time in the game. And I think that that was kind of the turning point as well. You could look at either one of those two things as being the thing that broke it open for the Hawkeyes on defense, just the fact that they were in position more. Taylor got taken so far out of position about seven or eight times. I was at the game, and I was noticing him out of position, you know, from the end zone all the way across the field. I was like, this is it's not great. Yeah, he's, uh, you know, God bless him. I, I think he's... Uh... Good kid, good head on his shoulders, likes poetry, kind of 
the, the stuff that we were learning about him going into last year made it seem like, oh, this is going to be the renaissance man of the Iowa secondary. Um, but you know, he just, he's never really been able to put it together. Um, like Max said, going back to last year, uh, Iowa probably doesn't win the Michigan game with Miles Taylor as, at the safety position. Because I think he was injured right at the beginning of that, and Gare went in and really shorted up. So I was a little disappointed, but not surprised to see the first um, safety tandem out there to be Miles Taylor and uh, Brandon Snyder. But, um, you know, he, he had a quick hook, pun intended, like I think we've all made. Um, and Amani Hooker got in there, and, and he made a big play too. I think that was the first half when he had an interception in the end zone. So the apple does not fall far from the tree with uh, Jeff George Jr. Wait. <laughs> yeah, that just kills me over and over again. Watching him and his dad with that backwards hat on. If I ever get to the point where my son is playing football at some point and I'm wearing a backwards hat like Jeff George was, somebody please just prevent me from doing so. Even if it takes physicality to do it, I give you everybody permission to find it and do it. What's wrong with backwards hats? Not, it's not the fact that it's like it Ken Griffey Jr. hat. It's the way that Jeff George was wearing the backwards hat. Did you see the picture of him and like he's making like these duck lip face and it's just he's so punchable. No, I didn't <laughs> see those, but no, I, I really want to now, so I'm gonna have to go see. I will. I will forward it to you after we're done with this show. Um, wait, so going back on that, I didn't know Miles Taylor was a big poet, guys. Did he say what type of poetry? I'm a English major from Iowa at this point, so I'm kind of curious. Free verse? Is he part of the Ode crew? <laughs> Those are two things I don't know about, but I do remember, um, like, it was a human interest story. They went back to, I think he went to Gonzaga or one of those uh, DMV schools, and he was into jam poetry. Um, I do remember that specifically. Oh, he must love going uh, to the Java house during the week. Uh, <laughs> follow it up on that at all big fan of java house um let's take the the focus off the the safety play for right now and move it over to the offense um like we kind of touched on before the offense didn't look very good to start that game and in the second half they found their way again um there was a lot of play calling that i found interesting brian ferentz seemed to open it up like we talked about last week he released the hounds which i've joked about a lot because that's i think ben said that at least 20 times last show um what did you guys think about the offense and is this something that's sustainable for the rest of the season there were quite a few times where the offense looked horrific especially early on uh Nathan Stanley did not look good on a few drives where he just looked absolutely putrid, and it looked very 2012 James Vandenberg-esque for a little bit. He was just making some really bad overthrows, underthrows, just all over the place on a handful of drives in the first half. Once the running game kind of got involved and kind of steadied itself a little bit, uh, I think that he got better as well. And then I think that they were just able to get their timing routes down. They figured out that the best way to beat Illinois was to run short crosses. And that's all they did for a, pe- for a period of time. And they re- repeatedly torched the Illini secondary on some short crosses. And I think that that kind of got his timing back in the rhythm a little bit and kind of helped him ease it out. But in the second half, they looked good. They took advantage of some turnovers. They took advantage of some good field position in that one. And... I think that that kind of helped out that they weren't having to go 90-plus yards over and over again the entire game. Yeah, I'm I'm still having mixed feelings about this offense. Um, 
I was kind of crunching some numbers, and one of the things that I was looking at was just the differential between passing touchdowns and rushing touchdowns. And I'm not really sure if it means anything, but we're at plus 11 passing touchdowns. I think we're at 16 with five um, running touchdowns. Uh, But two years ago, we had 18 more rushing touchdowns than we did um, passing touchdowns. And for uh, an offensive coordinator who wants to pride himself on, you know, running the ball, um, this is decidedly not kind of the the tactic or the numbers you would expect to see from someone, you know, a dynamic running back, a guy who wants to run the football. And, you know, an offensive line that was award-winning on the basis of their run blocking. So to see it really flip in a way that I wasn't really expecting um, is is good in one way. I, I think Brian Ferentz has a ton of good plays that um, he's still trying to figure out how to uh, build a game plan and call it as the game goes on because there, there's sometimes where it just doesn't really make sense. Like you got 10 to 15 yard throws on first down instead of um, the short passing game just kind of seems he never really gets that in a rhythm early, and I, and I think that's something that I would like to see him do more of is you know get the screens. I saw remember a tunnel screen a couple weeks ago. Love that play. Um, it's an easy throw. It gets someone in space with blockers. I just there are a lot of plays, but he really hasn't brought it all together cohesively um, in terms of uh, you know setting up the pass to run or setting up the run to pass. So um, overall, it's growing pains. It's his first year doing this. So um, that's kind of where I'm at with the offense. I saw somebody on Twitter earlier today. They said something along the lines of, Stanley's really good. This was his numbers through his first, you know, how many starts compared to C.J. Beathard's numbers through this many starts. And they they specifically threw out touchdown passes. And I was just kind of like, well, yeah, we're not running the ball into the end zone this season. If we were running the ball into the end zone, he'd have maybe half the rushing or passing touchdowns that he has. But instead, all we're doing is throwing it into the end zone, and that's the reason his numbers are so inflated. I think that he's a good quarterback. I don't think he's a great quarterback. But I think that Brian Ferentz really has uh, really is kind of lopsided, especially in the goal line area compared to what previous coordinators had done. Yeah, and I think it's you touched on it, Harrison, a little bit. the The offensive line completely switched this year. I think going into the season, I wrote the preview on the line. I expected them to be world beaters as far as the run game, and it's been quite the opposite. Even this week, putting in somebody like Tristan Wirfs, I thought he looked better in pass protection than he actually did in the run blocking game. And I'm not sure if Brian just knows this, and that's kind of why they're they're doing stuff like this. But Again, why not move the pocket a little bit? It, is, is Nate Stanley just not comfortable moving around? Does he like being statuesque? Um, those intermediate passes seem to be open all the time with a guy like Hawkinson or Noah Fant or even Easley, who just somehow is just one of those dudes that gets open. He's not fast. He can't really run well, but he gets open, and he's one of those dudes that you just want to hit. I, I'm not sure what's going on, but it, it's it's definitely out there. Yeah, with uh, the intermediate passing game, Hawkinson has been 100 100- hundred percent the the surprise for me i i kind of came in thinking he was going to be really 100 percent the run guy he's going to be in there they're going to block and it's going to be you know five six seven yard rushes 
but he gets in there, and I don't think he's had a single drop. Thankfully, there's a bye this week, so uh, I didn't just jinx him, maybe for next week. But um, he just, he's so good, and we haven't seen a ton of yards after the catch, but he's always there right around the sticks to move the chains. Yeah, I actually did the tight end preview uh, this offseason, and I, I was reading the, his high school stats. His high school stats, he had absurd reception yards and absurd amounts of reception. So I knew that he was going to be involved in that particular area, but I didn't think that they were going to involve him as much. I thought that they were going to go Noah Fant, number one, the number two, like Peter Picard or somebody of the sort, somebody who was going to you know be that run blocker. But I didn't think that they were going to u- utilize Hawkinson nearly as much as they are. It just seems like he's the the next one in line from that long list of tight ends that just out of nowhere were supposed to be just those pat, those run blockers, those big dudes that come in and jumbo packages and all of a sudden just develops hands and he's athletic enough to get open in the midfield and like those crossing routes. Those crossing routes work very well for Iowa. I'm shocked that they don't go to them more often or up until this game haven't used them more. I feel like if they had pulled those off at the Penn State game, things would be a lot different in the results at the end of that one. I agree with that. Um, we we've seen more drops in those like shallow five yard uh, drags, cross oh, routes, yeah. whatever you want to call them. There are more drops in that route from Nick Easley, Matt Vandenberg, and to me, it's it's a distinct change from last year where the short passes they were using were the screen passes, the ones behind the line of scrimmage, and you needed, you know, a blocker and some luck to get five to ten yards. And I think there's the athletes to still run those, but the change from those to the crossing routes, it's it requires more timing, it requires more pass blocking, um, and it, you know, it requires chemistry because, you know, they need to get used to just catching balls from Nathan Stanley and he throws a little bit of a heater um oh yeah but but it's 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 normally on target um so I've been I've been very pleased with with how he's played this year and everybody should still be pleased by it he was 17 for 32 for almost 250 yards three more scores I mean he's got two interceptions on the season yes there's certain times where he doesn't he's not very fun to watch and the offense isn't moving, but he's been very good for a sophomore, first-time starting quarterback. Yeah, the only thing that I feel like we could ask of him at this point, not well, wait, there's two things. Number one, get the deep ball down. And I don't want to say it anymore. I don't want to talk about it, so I'm going to move on. Number two, just I want to see that uh, completion percentage rise a little bit. You know, the last yeah. few games, he's been hovering around that 50% mark, which isn't terrible, but it's certainly not good. We want to see him up at least at 60, I feel like. And that'll, you know, that'll develop as he gets older, as he, you know, he starts to realize what his receivers are more comfortable catching. He threw an absolute bullet to Vandenberg on that touchdown pass in the uh, fourth quarter, was it? Uh, he threw an absolute bullet there. And I know that there's some probably like tight ends or maybe the running backs, they're not going to be able to catch those heaters. But I do want to see him get more efficient in the past game because I feel like he can be. And if, when he can be, and when he develops that and figures it out, then this Iowa offense is going to take off even more. That that brings me to a question I wanted to ask you both. Um, what is what is one thing that you guys are sticking on that Iowa has to clean up to potentially win seven, eight games the rest you know at the end of the season during this bye week? How much time do you have? <laughs> 
we got probably well we want to touch on basketball so i mean don't talk about the deep passes again you got you got i'll give you five minutes to me (laughs) the one thing i think iowa needs to get down to is asserting the run game and i know they did here um but they were going against a team that had guys who were 215 pounds, 201, 215 pounds at defensive end. Um, so that's easy to do against teams like that, where they're undersized, they're forced into these roles where um, they're learning on the fly, just like Tristan Wirfs is, but twist, Tristan Wirfs has 90 pounds on him. Um, so getting back and asserting the run game uh, – against uh, Big Ten-sized competition. That would be the thing that they need to figure out this this bye week for me. All right, I'm going to touch on one thing on the other side of the ball. I think that the uh, pass rush needs to get there, and I think that it needs to be consistent. We've seen it. We know that it exists. It demolished Penn State for the majority of that game, and that's a pretty good offensive line, but... You know, it's disappeared again in the past couple of weeks. The, uh, the Hawkeyes got no pressure on Jeff George Jr. throughout most of the game on uh, this past Saturday. And granted, he was moving the pocket around. He seems very comfortable doing that. But they just weren't unable to get any pressure on him, and it gave him all day to throw. And guys, the Illini outgained the Hawkeyes. And they put up, like, 200 yards in their previous two games. That's... Not good. It's that's, not good. It's bad. It's really bad. My my biggest concern, I'm kind of curious on what your guys' thoughts are too, is Iowa's defense and the bend don't break. It's funny now because it's kind of a drinking game at this point because this is something that the announcers keep talking about over and over and over again. But the last three weeks in a row, they have given up so many yards. And I know that at the end of the game – the points on the board matter the most, but I just don't know how Iowa can sustain success and get to that eight-win mark this season if they're going to continue to give up those type of yards to teams like Ohio State, to Iowa, or the Pants Party's number one team, Purdue, um, to a team like Wisconsin. I just don't know how that's going to work if they're giving up that type of chunks of yardage at a, at a pop. Spoiler alert, it won't. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> like, I- I'm going to go, go the other direction on this. I would rather give up those 30 40 yard chunk gains so that they immediately get into that compressed defensive area and then they can stop them just because i think the the and this is complete armchair psychology but i think giving up 12 14 15 yard or 15 play possessions i think that wears on you more than okay you you just you have a fire now and it's your fault so now you have to put it out so it's kind of a flip of, you know, whenever the offense turns it over, they have to go out and put out their fire. Now they have to put out their fire. So maybe it's just a complete shot in the dark, and I'm, I'm grasping for straws. But I think uh, Ben Don't Break works when they're, they're less tired or, you know. They're not going through that open heart surgery that, of a drive that takes seven minutes off the clock and it's like 20 plays long, a.k.a. Michigan State in the Big Ten Championship game. 100%. 100%. Yeah, and I don't disagree that I don't disagree when you say that it uh, that it does work and that that's how it does work. But 
I just feel like if we're giving up 400 plus yards, I think it was 465 to the Illini, uh, 446. So still over 400, above 450. Uh, if we're giving up that many yards to Illinois, Ohio State's got much, much better offense. Wisconsin, they have much better athletes on their team. And it's just kind of scary, you know. They did it against Penn State. It worked. Does it work against that? Can it work against everybody? Will it work against everybody? That's kind of what you have to think about. Yeah, and it's those big, it's those big chunks on the ground too that worry me the most. Because of a team like Wisconsin, the big bodies, they're going to want to do the same thing that Michigan State did. I don't know if they're going to go and score forty-one points on us, but they're going to be able to at least go get big chunks on the ground. And after a while, that does open up somebody like Alex Hornibrook eventually hitting over the top. And with the safety play that we've seen this season. That is troublesome because out of all the games left on the schedule, the Wisconsin game is the one that like I'm looking at as the one that can kind of put us over the edge. Like Ohio State, I'm kind of crossing off. I'm a little worried about Northwestern, but we'll get to that next week. But Wisconsin, like it, it to me that that could be that Penn State game that we actually can win, but not if they're going to give up that type of yardage on the ground because Wisconsin, that's what they do. That's how they eat and sleep and breathe. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I guess we'll see. Like, I mean, it's it's funny because you you go through college football and it's twelve games, and there are, so far I think Iowa's played almost six distinct games in which you know certain parts of the team have shown up, other t- other parts of the team haven't. You know, they've clicked on defense, they've clicked on offense. We've yet to see them really put together that thorough game that. Um, we're used to seeing at least one or two out of a season. Um, so we'll see. We'll see, obviously. Got half the season left. Guys, I don't know if you saw or if you really care, but there was a new punter this week. I think we made it happen. I did see that. I was uh, When I was at the game, I was looking at it. I was like, is that is that a number two back there? I, I can't tell. And uh, he was decidedly better, in my personal opinion, than uh, Rastetter was. It looked better. I don't know if it was better, but it looked like a better punt. For the punting enthusiasts out there, it looked better. He was better. Um, he was kicking into a wind a couple of times. He had the hang time. Um, obviously, I, I know punting about as well as I know anything else, which is to say not that well. But <laughs> it, seeing the ball get fair caught and have some hang time instead of it get fair caught because someone's figured out that you are rugby punting it and it takes two seconds to get that there in 30 se- or for 30 yards. It was, uh, it was nice to see some hang time. I missed that. Yeah, the hang time was pretty decent. Uh, the yards wasn't, wasn't always there. I think it was there on one or two of the punts uh, that were pretty decent. But uh, it looked it felt better. It really did feel better, and I'm confident moving forwards. All three of his punts were in the same quarter, I think, and they were all into that win. So, if that's the case, then it looks it looks if he looks future, the future looks bright. That's the words words that I try to make my mouth do. <laughs> I also love that Iowa made the decision to put Radstetter back there on the fake um, because. I think they probably just assumed, Illinois just assumed that they were going to end up punting it and never expected somebody like Amani Hooker to just get the direct snap and go for Iowa's longest run of the day. But props to Iowa for all of a sudden coming up with these 
these distinct fakes on, on punt formations. I feel like Dave Tobe's back there again for the Bears. Yeah, Ben, he's not. Look, I'm glad he's not on this week because I know he's not a fan whatsoever, <laughs> and I don't want to get into an argument about punting this week again after we've done it the last three weeks. But uh, it, it was fun to watch. It was a pleasant. It was surprise. fun. It was a pleasant surprise. This is the fun punting fake fake punt podcast. This is this is what you know. I I had kind of envisioned going into this season was there being some distinct bright spots like last year's basketball team where you can just be like, hey, this is why you play the game because it is fun and this is why you watch and it's it, it was a bright spot to see that even though did they end up even scoring a touchdown on it? I can't remember, <laughs> but. I do remember the fake punt, and it worked. I think they just got a field goal, in all honesty. <laughs> I think they scored, yeah, they scored on that. They didn't score on the onside kick. I know that for sure. Yeah, they're, they're one for three on the fakes. Or the, yeah. On scoring after the fakes? Is that what you're saying? Okay. Yeah, so last week they had, they didn't score on the one that they pulled off last week, the, the fake punt. I don't think they scored again on the fake punt this week. Or no, yeah, they scored on the fake punt this week, but they didn't score on the onside kick after the penalty. I think that sounds right. Yeah, throwing it back to last week, I want to say I think that fake field goal worked because when I saw Rastetter get back there, I immediately thought, oh, my God, they're actually going to punt it from the 30. And I'm sure that's what everyone else on the defense thought, which is why Epinesa was able to slide open for that little gain. Well, since we're already on the subject, I don't know if you guys have any more Illinois thoughts, but I thought it would be the perfect time to get into a couple punt or go for it with Harrison, I know you got some hot takes, so I'm ready to hear them. Yeah, so I have them in order of kind of uh, recency bias um, to, I don't, I don't know. Um, so the first one I have is the run offense against Illinois was fool's gold. This is something that I was kind of, you know, alluded to earlier. Um, so punt or go for it. The run offense against Illinois was fool's gold. I'm going for it. I, for right now, I think this this week is super important. I think the Illinois game was all for getting Tristan Wirf's game on tape so they can go from there and solidify the line. We're going to start putting players in positions again that they succeed in. We're not going to have guards as right tackles. We're not going to have, you know, just it's going to finally look solidified. I believe in Wirfs. I believe in Alaric Jackson on the left-hand side. I think Iowa's offensive line is one of those perfect Kirk Ferentz lines that go into this bye week, they solidify themselves, and then the second half of the season they come together and they are the last thing that we're worried about. At least that's what I'm selling myself on the fact because I still think this team can win eight games and they're going to need to play way better than they have been in the run protection game if that's going to happen. Uh, I I don't really have a... Uh, I don't really have a thought on it, honestly. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, I, I don't know which way to go with it. I, I don't know how I feel about the running game. It's It was better this week. It wasn't great. It should be better after the bye week now that, you know, we're going to have more practice with what should be the offensive line moving forward. I'm optimistic after watching the Illinois game, but I don't think that uh, it's it, – I don't think it's there yet. Yeah, it's also one that I'm going to go for um, – just because the numbers right now are not very good. Um, we're at 3.7. We aren't. 
the players are at 3.7 yards per carry. Um, that's down from 4.5 each of the last two years. And, um, you know, I, I think there's some credence to getting guys in the positions that kind of they're built to play, that they're, you know, they're used to playing. So I, I, I'm going to go for it being fool's gold right now, but it, it, I can envision things turn around. Um, it's just kind of a matter of um, both execution and also play calling because what I saw a lot of was finally getting wildly in space. Um, there seemed to be a little more uh, running out of the shotgun this week, which was something, and they ran a ton of counters. Um, that one play that he scored the touchdown on, they motioned uh, the wide receiver um, close to the line after bringing the tight ends over, and you know everyone thought they were going to go the other way um, because that's where everyone went. But he swung right behind everyone else, and easy touchdown. So. Um, it was nice to see some counters because that's what Wadley thrives on. I want to bounce off this as my punter go for this. Is one of the questions I had down, um, it, it goes hand in hand with the running game. Torn Young should be the short yardage back 100% of the time from here on out. Punt or go for it? I am going to go for it, but I'm going to take it a step further. I think that he just needs to play more in all situations. I think he needs to be the new LaShawn Daniels. I think he could be better than LaShawn Daniels. Was I think that they just I think that they just need to play him more. I think that you know mix and match a little bit more than they have been. Wadley still played a hell of a ton during this game, and I think it's mostly because the other two found themselves in the doghouse early on, especially Ivory Kelly Martin, who it took a while for him to get back in the game. I think after that fumble, it was a terrible, awful fumble, but. It took a while for him to get back into the swing of things, and I think that they need to use the at least, but what at least one of the two. But I'm leaning towards Torin Young more often than not. I I totally go for it. Torin Young is a Mack truck. Um, he seeks out hits. Uh, Wadley does too, but Wadley bounces off hits. Uh, the defender bounces off Torin Young hits. So um, I like the idea of using him more, especially in short yarded situations. Did anybody ever figure out if Akram Wadley was punished that first series of the game or not? Which? This, which game? Of this one, because it was Torn Young that went right into Ivor Kelly Martin, who fumbled it after he got the first down. But like, not no Akram at all. They ran, what, four plays in a row, I think? Like, I just It was weird that he wasn't on the field. Torn Young got the start. I just didn't know if Akram did something bad in practice or was late for a meeting. And this is one of those Kurt Ferentz punishment-type deals. <laughs> I don't know about that. Uh, maybe, maybe, if anything, it was. Would you be shocked, though? Yeah, I would be shocked because they've leaned, oh, I've really? leaned so heavily. They've, not I. They've leaned so heavily on him uh, so far this season, and they've barely used anyone else. So I feel like they don't feel comfortable with the other guys. Maybe it was his comment saying, I welcome the help. Maybe they were like, don't do not do it again. Look, be careful what you wish for. That, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, and I think on the Hawk. Hawkeye Nation one, um, I think John Miller said that he saw Wadley sulking. And normally I think Ferentz disciplines players for missing meetings and things like that, either a quarter or a half. Um, so I think this one wasn't necessarily a punishment, but more of a... Um, Message? Yeah, yeah, definitely that. Um, it would have been interesting to see uh, how long that had worked if... 
Kelly Martin didn't actually fumble. I wonder if he would have played it out to the full quarter. But um, I think it was just Ferentz kind of doing a Ferentz thing. He's done that in the past. He did it with DJK. I think it was <laughs> 2010 against Minnesota um, where I, DJK had a heck of a game. But that, yep. first, that first quarter, Dog he house. was uh, <laughs> out back. Yep. Probably because I saw him on Wednesday night out, and that was probably something to do with it. I still remember that game. DJK loved DCs. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> that's that's true. I mean, DCs on a Friday is a good time. DCs on a Wednesday, DJK probably shouldn't be there with me, the English major. But <laughs> uh, another punter, go for it. Either of you guys have one? Yeah, I have a basketball punter go for it, Ooh. actually. Okay. So Wait, wait, wait. Um, can we save this for the last one so I, can, I have one more football one? Oh, yeah. Do your football one because I have two non-football ones. And, Max, you still are just so concerned about the Cubs, right, that I'm glad you're even on this pod to begin with? I'm trying not to look at the <laughs> screen. I'm looking. I've turned around, and I keep turning back around. Uh, it's... I'm glad that I'm not because it's one to one right now, and they're going to lose because that's how this podcast works. I think. Reverse jinx. Nice. I like your style. All right, the last football one, and then we'll get into some basketball talk. Nate Stanley's going to go down as a top three quarterback in Iowa history when it's all said and done. Punt or go for it. Punt. Oh boy. Uh, what was my hot take a couple of weeks ago that he would turn into James Vandenberg? Yeah, you got to stick to that. Was that, was that what I yeah. said? I don't know if you. I, I don't mean all my hot takes. I'm just dishing them out just so we can get some conversation going. But uh, I don't think he's going to be a top three. I don't think he's he's not going to dethrone Brad uh, Brad Banks. I don't think. Probably not Stanzi. Well, I think he. And then we have to look. Is this the Kirk Ferentz? Is this the Kirk Ferentz era we're talking about? I would say. Yeah. Or Iowa. I'd say Kirk Ferentz era. Because then it was also going to be hard to say uh, Chuck Long. Uh, if we were going the whole way. But, all right, if it's the Ferentz era, I could see it happening. Ferentz era, I, I think, th- easy. He is a top three quarterback of the Ferentz era. Just like, I mean, you get into this game and it can be a little concerning, but you prorate where he's at right now for the rest of his career, and he'd be well over 60 touchdowns, um some pretty gaudy numbers so gaudy that they could approach top three all time i don't know enough about iowa history to know what happened on those rose bowl teams in the 50s and 60s i think randy duncan i think he was the quarterback and he's probably uh somewhere up there now kinnick i know he was technically a halfback but he received the snap every time um so i think it's definitely long in terms of modern quarterbacking um but stanley stats wise he could have some pretty big numbers by the end yeah. of his career and with the weapons that iowa has that he's going to grow up with it's just that's the part that keeps getting me excited about the future this is supposed to be like one of those bridge gap years where these young kids get time and they're performing right now and then the next two years we get to see those kids grow up with more time more time in the weight program more time under this staff who just churns out actual like three star in making them into good big 10 talent like that's really encouraging if he makes one big 10 championship game all of a sudden, he's definitely in the conversation to probably overseat C.J. Beathard, where he's probably in the top six-ish. 
and Ricky Stanzi as well. And then you have Brad Banks, you have somebody like Tate and Long, and all of a sudden he's in the conversation. I think it's definitely something to be tentative and go for. Yeah, I mean, even saying, even if I did say that he was going to be the next James Vandenberg, James Vandenberg had arguably the best single season under Kirk Ferentz in the 19 years. He threw for over 3,000 yards, 25 touchdowns, I think it was, and like six picks. That might be a little bit off on those numbers, but he had probably the best single season statistically of any uh, Ferentz quarterback, so... This is the second time we've brought up James Vanberg on this podcast, and I love it because he Greg Davis ruined him. He was a way better quarterback than what he showed in his senior season. I, I still feel bad for the James kid. James Vandenberg was there when I got there, so uh, always he'll always hold a special place in my heart. Yeah, I don't have the the same kind thoughts, I guess. Obviously, I love him. He was a good quarterback, did what he was asked, but I, I think kind of the, the second half of his first year – um, starting, there are some numbers that make it seem like he was already on the downslide before Greg Davis got there. Um, I know Blackheart Gold Pants um, that they ran something before the new regime came in that was pretty interesting um, in terms of how he started sliding, um, but I can't re- remember enough of it to, to go to in depth. But um, I, I do think that. 2012 it was to see 2011 and 2012 happen in back-to-back years that was pretty pretty remarkable yeah that was quite the difference anyways let's move on from the vandenberg talk let's get to hoops yes so uh my basketball punt or go for it is nicholas bear is the most important player on this basketball team Oh, 100% absolutely going to go for that. Uh, he's the heart and soul. He's He puts in maximum effort. When he's on the court, I feel like everybody else tries just a little bit harder. And, you know, I feel like he's the difference maker when he's on the court. I think that the team's so much better when he does it. I don't think that he should start because I think that he needs to, you know, or maybe he should start, but he still needs to intermittently get into the game. He needs to, uh, you know, kind of take those long breaks so that he could come back and then do that thing he does where he goes about 180%. But I'll, I'll, I'll take that, yeah. I'm, I'm fine with it. I don't. It all depends on how you define important. Like, to me, Tyler Cook's growth to this season is going to be important to me. A guy like Isaiah Moss and how he can be a Big Ten killer in the form of the way he can shoot, the way he can get to the rim, and as a slasher off the ball – as well as the the defense, that Chicago defense that he can bring. He's the perfect Fran recruit. That's the guy that I'm pinning my hopes on this year is Isaiah Moss. But sure, I love Nicholas Bear. Like you said, he's the, the captain of the all-hustle team. He goes out there and makes plays, and he is an instant shot of energy. Um, somebody like Melson Basabe even, they obviously were playing different positions, but when they're out there, they seem to make some sort of play that gets the team riled up and you can count on them to go out there and do such a thing every time they're on the court this i'm actually not going to go for it i'm going to go for luca garza being the most important i thought about that i did i don't think it necessarily means he needs to be the world beater on the offensive end but i think his ability to come in and be a center for um 16 minutes a game. If he can do that, that's where Woodbury was at. Um, 
his freshman year, um, then I think allowing the power forwards Iowa has to actually pay, play power forward is going to be huge. Um, because uh, I, I just think that if they can have the man in the middle, you know, actually a center, play center, I think that kind of will define the ceiling of Iowa's season. Um, I think Nicholas Bear, him being around and him being healthy for, you know, 34, 35 games, I think he'll define the floor of Iowa's season just because he's going to keep everyone in line and, you know, he he's preached be a star in your role. And I think... Um, God, I love that. The, the team takes after their leader and Peter Jock, he was a leader and he was offensively oriented. So you saw a team that focused 100% on offense. Um, with Nicholas Bear, I think he's the, the guy and I think him being the leader and having them focus on team play, doing what you're asked to do, I think that means that everyone will be doing what they can do as best as possible. But I think what we see out of Luca Garza and to a lesser extent, Isaiah Moss, like you said, I think those are the two critical positions where Iowa's season could go really, really well. I'm starting to think about this now. And in those 17 minutes that you mentioned, I'm kind of excited to see him and Cordell Pemsel play together as that center and power forward matchup. It's not even Tyler Cook that, that I'm excited to see with him. It's Cordell who last year really shocked me and surprised me with his level of play. Um, I know he's kind of had some things going on this this offseason, but if he's 100% healthy and able to go out there and play and show like he did last year, those two together are interesting. Yeah, my only concern with those two playing would be, I don't really know uh, Garza's game super well. I've seen some of his highlight stuff uh, from his time in high school, but I just feel like they might make it so that the floor is not spaced out while they're out there because I know that Cordell Pemsel is almost entirely a post player. I'm assuming that Garza is mostly going to be a post player. But yeah. I, that that's the only thing that bothers me, or not b- bothers me, but kind of scares me about that is just that it might be not very offensively uh, oriented. Yeah, he's said to have a three-point shot. Um, I'm kind of going back in the memory bank to remember how he did throughout the European tournament or the European games. He was the MVP for like multiple games. Um, I was chatting with uh, Stoops uh, on Twitter, and the thing he was concerned about is not having that level of competition that you kind of would have wanted to see out of um, the European teams. Uh, They were all-star teams. I use air quotes um, because they're like high schoolers and uh, select retirees, basically, from the the European game. So he wasn't going up against even, you know, a, a level two Italian center who is still, you know, uh, either a staunch guy who's been around the league for a while or he's a young up and comer. Um, I remember when they played in France against Pierre Pierce, it's like, whoa, Pierre Pierce, but also they're actually playing real players. Um, I'm not sure we saw enough of that, and that's kind of my one concern um, with maybe what we're seeing is um, those stats being a little inflated. But we'll see. I'm certainly excited. Um, Jerry and Max, kind of what what do you 
see as um, the most exciting thing about this basketball team as we kind of transition it to to that time of year? For me, it's right up front just getting to the point of the schedule. Iowa doesn't have to go to the Breslin Center. They don't have to go to the Cole Center. They're playing – they have a really juicy schedule for a team that won 19 games last season, went to the NIT, a very young team. I think this team could compete for a top four finish in the Big Ten just looking at their schedule which because it's always a mix. It's the schedule and the roster. The roster's deep. It's probably the first time Fran McCaffrey's had an entire roster of his type of players, guys that can switch positions. They can play one through five if they have to, one through four maybe, and they can go. They all are athletic. They all can run. They're all long. They're interchangeable except for a guy like Bohannon, but he opens up the floor. I'm excited for this team, and that schedule screams that they're going to get in the NCAA tournament. It would be a real, real disappointing season if they can't, you know, grow on what they did last year. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. The schedule this year is extremely favorable in comparison to some schedules from the past. Uh, I'm most excited about the fact that the players are probably going to be able to play their own positions, and I don't, and Peter Jock, as much as we all love Peter Jock, I'm glad. I'm excited to see somebody new play for Iowa, and that's just because I mean we've known him for four years, and I feel like the longer somebody's always around, the more you know you don't get tired of him per se, but it feels like you know you just kind of want a fresh start, and you know that's famous last words, because the next guy might not be nearly as good as the last guy that you you know you were kind of getting a little bit quote unquote sick of, but. I'm excited to see some new faces. I'm excited to see people play their positions more often this season. It should be a good one. Yeah, you you, you brought it up, and it's something that I wrote about in my uh, end-of-season piece that I'm kind of bringing back for for, uh, something later this week um, about Peter Jock. Uh, So much of, I think how Iowa struggled last year with him on the floor defensively, I think that was driven by him playing small forward. Um, he, he he was kind of a weird in a weird spot at, as a college player, I think. He wasn't necessarily big enough to stop small forwards, and he wasn't necessarily quick enough to stop shooting guards. I don't know how that might change in the NBA, um, but it, it might... But just kind of his defensive energy was there at select times and not there 100%. Um, they don't get back into that Minnesota game without him at the point of the, the press. He was, you know, just wreaking havoc in, in ways that I hadn't seen before. Uh, and that kind of showed, you know, won the leadership, do the dirty work, you know. Um, but also it, it showed what he was capable of and what he – could have been doing a little more of the time, um, which seems like I'm throwing him under the bus. But I, I think that uh, he was the perfect leader for that Iowa team um, because he loved to play offense. So did everyone else. Um, he wasn't so hard-nosed or clicky that he froze anyone out. Um, and I think that's where Iowa really benefited was you know, they were able to pass when when they went away from him. They offensively were even better because you didn't have to worry about the ball stopping. 
um, but they were still offensively oriented. So I think that um, that it'll be a good season and a lot better than what we see most of the national voices um, predicting, which is a middle-of-the-pack Big Ten season, which I would consider um, a little bit of a disappointment. I would like to see them challenge for the top four, um, but if they don't, it, I would be a little disappointed. The thing that I that makes me excited about this is how Frank can stagger minutes. He's got ball handlers on this team. He doesn't have to just have Peter Jock or Bohannon handling it. I'm telling you, like I, I keep mentioning it over and over again, and I probably will keep writing about it. You know, once we get into basketball season, Isaiah Moss's growth as a player from taking on that red shirt to last year, kind of going through some bumps and learning how to go about some things, um, especially when Peter Jock went out of the game. He's going to be integral to getting guys like Bohannon some rest, Tyler Cook some rest, because he can play two through four, really, if he has to. He's interchangeable. He's one of those wing-forward combo guys. And the playmakers that Fran has at his at his disposal is just unlike anything that we've seen, I think, to this point. And that's before we even get his son coming in as the best recruit that we've ever seen. Yeah, that's, that's two years away. Um, I, I think the thing that's... It, continues to be exciting is like you said I everyone can do something with the ball in their hands um I I think we're gonna see a lot of situations where uh whoever gets the rebound is just gonna push it up the floor whether it's Tyler Cook whether it's Nick Bear whether it's you know Bohannon or Moss I think they're all capable of taking the ball and scoring in their own ways and also finding the open man um and, and I think that's going to uh, be to their benefit because they're not going to have that focal point, maybe Tyler Cook accepting, um, that you really have to focus on stopping every single play like you did with Peter Jock. And, um, you know, they they all can shoot. Uh, well, maybe not all of them, but they're going to be able to throw out lineups where they can go, you know, five deep shooting with Bohannon, Moss, Bear, uh, Nungi, if he's it's uh, shooting the three, it's Nungi. Okay, it's Nungi. I, I found that out once. I'm not going to say how I found it out. Uh, I had connections to some stuff that I had, uh, but it's, I found out it's Nungi, and I was pronouncing it Nungi the whole time. So, so Nungi and Garza, like they're going to be able to throw out some pretty cool lineups. And the one concern I do have also is um, who plays backup point guard. I think my thought is it's. You know, you're not a Christian Williams guy. <laughs> well, I, I, I think I like Christian Williams. I like what he adds, um, but it's such a specific role that I don't know if you need it for ten minutes a game at the point guard position. So I think we see a lot of Brady Ellingson being the de facto point guard, which I see your face, Jerry, rolling your eyes. But he had some really good games. I rather have Christian Williams. <laughs> oh, you're rolling your eyes about Williams. No, I am about Brady. I just I don't see it. I haven't seen it. I, yeah, keep going. Go. But he was the uh, he was the had the obviously low sample, small sample size. But he was eighteen for eighteen from the charity stripe. So we'll see if he breaks Chris Street's record. And he also in like forty eight attempts was forty six percent. I think those were the numbers. But he was Iowa's highest shooting three point shooter so if he can uh maintain some efficiency not even all of it and what i expect to be 
an expanded role because he was someone who was also a little shut out from, uh, you know, the the Peter Jock show because, you know, the minutes weren't always there. And when they were, his best games were the ones where uh, Peter Jock sat. So I'm excited to see uh, him kind of lead the team in backup point guard minutes. That was Ellingson you were talking about? I cut out for a second real quick. Yeah, it was uh, Ellingson. All right, cool. Yeah, no, I I mean, I think that he's probably the best option for backup point guard, but that's because there are not a whole lot of options for backup point guard on this team. Uh, looking at the um, team roster right now, Connor McCaffrey is not playing this year. Uh, he's on there. Austin Ash probably isn't going to be playing <laughs> no? this this season. And then uh, for guards, otherwise it's Macy Daly and Isaiah Moss. And I don't I don't know how you guys feel about Macy Daly. I don't think he's going to play very much this season. Uh, but I guess we'll find out. You guys say this now, but the Christian Williams puff piece about how he's been working on his offensive game hasn't come out yet, which is always a staple for me because that's when I sell myself on him being actually decent this year. He has such a broken-looking jumper. I just can't. I can't believe that. Maybe maybe it'll be like a broken jumper like, uh, what's his name? Uh, oh, Lonzo. Yeah, Lonzo. Thanks for giving me that one. Yeah, maybe it'll be a broken b- b- jumper like Lonzo Ball where it'll work. But well, I was going to say Bryce Cartwright because I thought his jumper was broke too, but Fran kept going to it. I don't think he had any options back when, <laughs> when that was <laughs> He didn't. End of the game, Bryce, just go ahead and cut to the right and shoot that little fadeaway jumper on the baseline. Hopefully it goes in. That was my, he was one of my favorites when he was there. He was so much fun to watch. You just liked hearing Compton being t- announced when I he came out. exclusively referred to him as Compton because I could never remember his name. <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, but, like, looking at where we are this year versus where we are last year, um, it's just so different for me um, because the point guard position was a complete question mark. We were, um, you know, wondering what Christian Williams could do. Um, and everyone had those high expectations on the basis of his last three or four games, um, especially the garbage time against Villanova, which he and Nicholas Bear played very well in. Uh, Two best players. I was at that game. They were the only ones that showed up. I, I'm so sorry. I, I think it, it yeah, set me high too. expectations for him <laughs> in a way that he might not have been ready for. So I think back to the Bear thing where everyone's going to have a role. Maybe your role isn't called upon for that night, but there are going to be games where Iowa needs, you know, Ahmad Wagner, Dom Yule, Christian Williams to go out there and um, maybe not Dom players. Yule. <laughs> maybe not Dom Yule, who's got the Dale Jones uh, honorary invite to Media Day as the senior. Um, but we'll see. I'm very optimistic. Very optimistic. I think I'll. Should... Go ahead. No, I didn't have anything to add. <laughs> I was going to say, I think all three of us are pretty optimistic. Of course, it is before the season even starts, so that is a staple of Iowa hoops. And if the Iowa football offense can't get things together, we're going to continue to sell ourselves on this basketball season. So, um, yeah, we, that's always exciting times. What do you think the ceiling for wins for this team is this upcoming season? Just really quick. Like if you had to just throw out a number. I haven't run through 
the numbers yet. That's but fine. They Just were throw out a number. We don't. We Seven, don't. Uh, twenty-five. <laughs> Thank you. Twenty-five. I think is the ceiling. I was gonna say twenty-four. If you put it at like twenty-three, twenty-four and a half in Vegas, I'd, I'd flirt with taking the over on both. So yeah, I was gonna go. I was gonna go twenty-two. Just because. I mean, they won nineteen last year. They should be able to win three to five more games this year. Yeah. No, I would agree yeah. with that. Yeah. You have the nineteen. You you lose the clunker in the out of conference play gets you to twenty. You know, maybe you get a win in the Big Ten, 21. Uh, 25's a lot. 25's a lot. But I think it's their ceiling. I do. Yeah, I do too. It's, it's fine. We're not, we're not about thinking things through here. We're just trying <laughs> to throw – we're just tra- throwing out hot takes at the moment. And I think that's the perfect place to stop this podcast from here. Um, I want to thank all of you guys first and foremost – for going to the pants party again all are welcome and all need to continue to come so please pass this along to your friends um your family anybody that is a hawkeye fan let them know that your favorite sb nation blog has a podcast um we definitely uh, appreciate the support if you guys can go ahead on itunes subscribe there rate and review it helps us out tremendously hopefully we can get um some sponsorship down the line and we don't have ben reading us fake ponchero's ones anymore that would be utmost um beneficial for us so for harrison for max my name's jerry and we are out of here enjoy the bye week folks on iowa bye week can't play nobody <laughs>